I'm Scott Abraham from ABC7 in Washington, D.C. You know who it is. Travis Thomas Experience. This is Eric Edholm of Yahoo Sports. This is Mitch Tischler. This is Al Galdi, and you're listening to The Big Douglas Show. How you doing? Good. Today we welcome Nick Ackridge onto the show. He does the PFF numbers for Washington. Nick, thanks for joining me today. Hi, thanks for having me, man. Yeah, I think PFF confuses people, so I thought maybe we could start in with like um, the dummies guide to PFF, which actually suggests be my guide. I know a little bit, uh, interestingly enough, maybe five or six years ago with PFF, I got the packet sent and uh, to get a job and started tracking the numbers. It is a tedious thing, at least yeah. at the beginning, right? Yeah, no, it, it definitely is. Uh, you you got to work your way up from doing all the tedious work to get to the fun work. But essentially, it, it goes by charting players in position and then making notations. So yeah. break down the early parts for us on how, how this thing gets started and how you get some numbers. Yeah, so we have um, a base process that, that's basically entering in the play-by-play data. Um, so say, for example, Alex Smith drops back, passes to Terry McLaurin. We're entering where he's dropping back to, where he's releasing the ball, where the ball is targeted, um, where he's the receiver's first getting contacted, where he's tackled, entering in the yards, the net yards, all that sort of data. Penalties, the sort of stuff. Um, and then you have player participation. They're charting basically where everybody is on the field to a specific position. Um, so you can have a cornerback, slot cornerback, um, safeties, linebackers, all that sort of stuff. And then after that, we have people coming in and then grading the plays. And so how, how do the grades work that you're they're on a scale to a hundred? Yeah. So what we're doing in with the actual game and where we're starting is, we're grading each player on a scale from negative two to positive two, and that's in increments of 0.5. Um, so the easiest way I can sort of explain this is so like on a pass play that I just mentioned, Alex Smith to Terry McLaurin for a first down. That's a simple 0.5 from for Alex Smith and for Terry McLaurin, and then a minus 0.5 for whoever was covering him. Um, it goes farther than that. So for like a positive one grade, that would be something like Alex Smith is throwing a deep to Terry McLaurin for 25 plus yards, something like that. Um, or we're looking for sort of tight window throws, um, busted coverages you'll usually get like a negative one sort of grade for that um, that's sort of the easier stuff with like the skill positions when you're looking at the o-line and d-line um, what we're looking for is like for a 0.5 it's basically just beating your block um, if you're winning your block you're probably going to get a 0.5 um, and if you are winning your block getting into the backfield for a tackle for loss quickly you're more likely going to be earning a plus one um, and then a negative one for whoever was blocking you what technically or usually, I guess, are the things that frustrate people about PFF grades? What do you say? What, what do you hear the most? Oh, God, where do I start? <laughs> um, the simplest thing is we, we, don't, we don't know their assignments, so we can't possibly grade them. And yes, that's true. We don't, we don't know their assignments. Um, nobody does except for their coaches. But what we can tell you is that their assignments are sometimes rather easy to figure out. I mean... Sometimes their assignment is right in front of your face. This guy's blocking this guy. Does he win that block or does he lose that block? Yes or no. That's their assignment. I mean, it's sometimes it's as simple as that. Um, same with the pass plays. I mean, if Alex Smith is throwing to Terry McLaurin, the throws over his head, the throws underthrown, something like that. That's clearly where he's throwing the ball. That's clearly what he's supposed to be doing on the play. He just misses. So we're downgrading that. So yes, there are, there are definitely plays where we don't know their assignment. 
And what we're doing is we're sort of zeroing those plays. We're leaving those plays be. And then we talk with former professional coaches, former professional players, all that sort of stuff to try to figure out the exact thing that they're doing. And we will never, we'll never get everything 100% correct. It's just impossible. But those sort of plays happen so rarely that we're confident enough in our grades to say that 95% of the time we are accurate with them. Are you able to use the numbers to predict future outcomes? You know, I mean, yeah, no, it, you can't, you're not going to use them to go to Vegas, but you know, oh, yeah. you, um, that's, that's what I, I think we're, we're trying to do a lot. Um, we're, we're trying to see how sticky these numbers are, how we can predict year to year um, progression and stuff like that. Sometimes it's hard because I've talked about this with so many people that sometimes bad players put together a really good performance and that just happens. So sometimes you'll have a player who comes out of nowhere and has puts up a 90 plus grade. And then the next game he comes out and puts like a 40. Um, It's tough to do year to year because some of these players are going to have good years and some of those numbers are going to stick out. What we're trying to do is sort of see through their career, who they are as a player. Um, The longer or the more grades we have, the easier it is to sort of predict who they are in the future. Um, Rookies are the hardest to do because sometimes, so even Dwayne Haskins is the perfect example. Um, Last year, we had him graded as, I believe, our second highest rookie quarterback after his season. He was making the right throws. He was making the right reads. He was just missing at times, but he wasn't putting the ball in any harm. And then he comes out this year and he's our lowest graded passer. So stuff like that is sort of hard to predict in the future. Um, it, it is one of the more predictive ways to see it in the future, but it's still, even when it is with that top echelon of predicting future um, success, it's still, it's like a 30% success rate and it's the top success rate, basically. Right. It, it's almost impossible to sort of predict these guys year to year. And that's kind of what we're trying to do. And, and can you use those numbers to, justified so the other day you and i talked a little bit about uh chase rulier and the year he's having and brandon Schiff. can the numbers distinguish on which positions are more important the grades not not as much um because what we're doing is we're just grading them based on that play we're not really putting into any more any more value because obviously the quarterback's the most valuable position we all know that we're not going to bump up his grades just because he's more valuable Um, but what we do have, we have a research and development team. They're 10 times smarter than I am. They got their models. They got their numbers. They're using all that sort of stuff. And they're sort of putting out a, uh, wins above replacement thing. Um, you see that all the time in baseball with war and whatnot. Um, and we've been sort of working with that to sort of, um, show which position is more important, more valuable. Um, but so the grades itself will not show who's more valuable, um, but we have different research showing what's the more valuable position. So at Sports Washington on Twitter wanted to know, is it more important to sign Rulier or Sheriff if you can only pick one? I saw that question and it's so hard because they're both going to command different numbers. Um, I think, I don't know, it's tough. Sheriff is going to, He's going to command a lot of money. He's going to get top guard money. Um, and I don't, Which is I don't around know. 15, I think. Yeah. I don't know if you can fit them both in the cap. If you're also looking at signing the D line and signing, you know, other positions that are coming in. Um, if it were up to me, I think I would, I think I would stick with Chase Rulier. 
just because you know what you're going to get year in, year out. He started every single game. Um, Sheriff, there's always injury problems. And when he is playing, he's one of the best guards in the NFL. With Chase, he is as solid as you could possibly get from the center position. You're not going to get anything better when you go out in the free market to try to pick somebody up. Um, a rookie is not going to come in and do the same thing he's doing. He's just as solid as it gets at that position. I mean, you're just not going to find anything better. Same with Sheriff. You're not going to find anything better. But I think if you're looking at it money-wise, I think the smarter thing to do would be to get Chase instead of Sheriff. Now, I would love if they both came back. I just don't know if it's possible. Yeah. Uh, as we switch to this, uh, real quick, finishing up on the offense, uh, Kyle Allen was actually the highest graded PFF for he, – he was playing well before he got hurt, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Playing well is a bit of a stretch, but he was playing the best. I don't know. The quarterback position this year has just been a nightmare. Um, we all know what Alex Smith is. He's going to throw the ball three yards. He's going to move the offense as best as he can. You won't see many splash plays, but it was better than Haskins because Haskins was just not, he wasn't able to do that. I mean, he wasn't able to complete simple passes. He wasn't able to recognize simple coverages and he's just missing. Um, so Alex Smith has been better than Haskins. Kyle Allen has been better than both of them, but Kyle Allen is also a very small sample size. We really did not see much of him. So it's kind of hard to say that he's the best quarterback on the roster because we just haven't seen much of him. There will be a contingency of people in the offseason, uh, assuming that Lawrence goes number one overall, that Darnold will be available. Now there will be plenty of people that say that there's the head's not right. He's not in it mentally anymore. PFF, again, can't do the, the, the mental side, but what do the numbers say as far as a, a guy like that that has been in the league for a couple of years expect big changes or you see what you get, you see what you get type thing. Not re- unless you want to see a Josh Allen type jump, which whatever, what Josh Allen is doing this year is ridiculous. Darnold's sort of been around that 65 to high sixties grade. And that's kind of what we've seen through his first couple years. So I don't expect that sort of jump. Um, that's just kind of who he is. Uh, I, I wouldn't be a huge fan of getting him. I think there's better veteran quarterbacks to get out or to go and get other than Darnold because we just kind of know who Darnold is at this point. Yeah. Uh, Darby, uh, if I'm not mistaken, is the highest ranked corner on the team. I think that would surprise some people over Kendall Fuller. He, other than a couple of big plays early, he's been great. Yep. The thing with Darby is kind of funny because it's either, he's either getting burnt deep or he's making a play on the ball there's almost no in between. So you're either having a negative one grade or a positive one grade. There's almost really no in between, but when you look at it, when he's not getting targeted, he's, he's staying tighter um, to receivers. Kendall Fuller started out this year. The first four games, he was incredible. Uh, He was one of our PFS top graded corners in the entire NFL. But ever since then, he's been pretty poor. Uh, He's given up a lot more receptions this past game um, against the Niners. He was, he was sliding everywhere. Like he was not able to just stand up straight on the turf. Um, there were plenty of plays where he wasn't targeted, where he was just getting burnt. Um, so yeah, Darby is Darby's our top graded corner and he's, he's been pretty solid. I mean, this is not something I expected at all from Darby, um, but it kind of speaks to the volatility of cornerback play. One season, you could be one of the worst corners and the next season you could be one of the best. It's just one of the weirdest positions. Uh, talking about the secondary, it has been interesting. DeShazer Everett out of nowhere is a quality free safety. What are the numbers show? 
Yeah, the Shazer is kind of as average as you can get. I, I mean, he's not – he's just doing his job. He's not doing anything flashy. He's not doing anything um, that, like, shows huge mistakes in his game. He's just solid. I mean, Troy Apke was lost. He seemed completely lost in the field. He tried to rely too much on his speed, his physical ability to make up for not really knowing where he's supposed to be on the field. Um, but the Shazer is not like that. He is, he's where he's supposed to be at all times. And that's kind of who he is. And I, I don't really see that changing. Um, but yeah. Bostic has been up and down this year. I know fans get um, tired of him at some point. What do the numbers show on Bostic? Uh, fans are right. It's not very good. Um, right now we have him with a 50.3 overall grade. It's one of the lowest of any linebackers. He's just, he's getting, sometimes he's too aggressive. He'll get moved out of his gap rather easily because he's just in the wrong gap. Um, he's just, I don't know. He's just there. He, he's making tackles. He's not missing too many tackles, but he's just not really in the right spot that you need your Mike linebacker to be in. And that's kind of his problem. Struggles in coverage. He's not as athletic as some of our other linebackers. And, and he's it's, just it's interesting there. because Ron's not had a problem moving off guys uh, recently. And he moved off a little bit, uh, maybe a couple games ago on Bostic, but, but not really. They've, they really stuck with him. Uh, and I've been a little surprised by that. Yeah. Uh, Bostic has, I believe the second most snaps of anybody on the defense behind Ronald Darby. Um, he is almost always playing. Um, I think, I think they just trust him for whatever reason. I, I don't know why, but he doesn't really seem to be in the right spot most of the time. He, he's constantly over pursuing the wrong gap. So yeah, that, that is kind of weird to me. Um, I, I think there are much better options there, but they clearly don't agree. So um, at some point they've got decisions to make on that defensive line uh, 93, 94, 97. Doubt you can pay all three of them, particularly yeah. with Ionitis coming back next year. What does the grade suggest is the right move there? Obviously, they got to keep the two outside guys. Yeah. Um, so right now, Jonathan Allen is the highest one of all of them. He's having an incredible career year. Um, his pass rush is finally all coming together. I, I think Jonathan Allen is a must resign. He's the captain of the defense. Dude's an absolute freak of a player. Um, but Deron Payne, it does the dirty work that doesn't really show up. He's yeah. just, he's constantly taking on double teams. He's standing up double teams. He's just a giant body that you can't move. And then you have Tim Settle comes in and sort of does the same thing as Payne. He's, I wouldn't say he's up there at the Deron Payne level, but he's, he's pretty damn good. And he could start on almost any other team in the NFL. So I don't know what you do with the three of them, especially with Ionitis already being paid. You're going to have Chase Young and Montez Sweat being paid eventually. That's just a lot of money to allocate to just one position. What do the PFF numbers say as far as drafting in college? A lot of people say, like, don't draft a receiver in, in round one or don't take a tight end before, you know, 13, let's say. Well, mm -hmm. I know – Right now, Washington sits about 19, and it's it's a little early to go too far into the offseason, obviously. Uh, but I, I'm curious as to how that works and where we'll be sitting. 
Yeah, we're we're a huge believer in drafting wide receivers as often as possible. Um, we think it's one of the most valuable positions in the NFL. Um, tight ends is a little tricky because that's kind of one of the positions that our numbers have even shown that even the great tight ends in college struggled their first couple of years in the NFL. And it takes them maybe two, three years to finally find their footing and sort of be a productive tight end. So that's one of the harder ones to be convinced of picking in the first round. But Kyle Pitts is a different animal. That guy is, he's, he's a wide receiver in a tight end's body. Um, and I don't know if you'd see him struggle year one or year two, like we have with other tight ends. Uh, last one for you, before we let you go. And I appreciate it. Um, the defense is in win now mode. Um, do you think that it's better to draft and develop or go out and get a Stafford or somebody like that, that can actually help the defense, which is in win now mode, it would seem. Yeah, it's tough because you've seen you've seen a ton of teams in the past that have had these great defenses, but just an average to below average quarterback, and it always holds them back. I think the the greatest example of this is the Jaguars from a couple of years ago, one of the best defenses we've ever seen. But they had Blake Bortles there, so I think if you really think that you are in a win now mode, I think you have to go out and get a guy like Stafford, get a guy like Dak. Um, but if you don't think that defense is there, I wouldn't mind say we're picking nineteen, we win the division, losing the first round, we're picking nineteen. A guy like Trey Lance is there. Trey Lance is not going to come in and start that first year. He's just not ready. But if he sits behind maybe a guy like Alex Smith or Kyle Allen or something like that, you can develop him over the years. That defense stays strong. You keep developing players on the defense, and then you kind of all put it together. Um, I think that's the best route to go. Uh, we, we've swung and missed on veteran quarterbacks in the past, so I'm a little scared to go there again. Um, but I think if you get a guy like Stafford, you get a guy like Dak, I think you are in that win-now mode. And I think you can be up for Dak all day long, right? Mm -hmm. I loved, I hate, I do not like the Cowboys, never liked the Cowboys, but Dak Prescott, I find myself rooting for him all the time. I think he's a, a great dude and an incredible quarterback. What do we got to do to pull off a win against Seattle on Sunday? Oh boy. <laughs> you need a performance like the Giants against the Seahawks. You have to honestly just completely shut down that offense. And I haven't watched the Giants and Seahawks games closely, so I don't know. I don't know really how they did it. I'd have to watch that um, closer, but they completely shut Russell Wilson down. And that's pretty much what you have to do. Their offense was atrocious, just like ours will probably be. Um, but that, that defense needs to completely shut them down and hope you get some turnover luck like we did against the Niners and, you know, see if you can pull it off. Nick Ackridge, it's at PFF underscore Nick Ackridge on Twitter. Where you got anything coming up this week before the game? No, just a lot more work. Yeah, just yeah, a yeah. lot of work. That's all we do over here. More football to watch. Doesn't sound too bad. Nick, we appreciate you giving us some time today, man. Yeah, thanks for having me, man. It was a blast.